All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country to translate your vision into reality. I want to welcome everybody back for another exciting episode. And this time we're going to be talking about a topic that is extremely relevant and extremely important, whether you are a board member or a nonprofit leader, and that's making sure that your organization has adequate financial controls in place to make sure you're leading your organization with accuracy as well as with integrity. To help us in this conversation, I'd like to welcome Alex Romero, uh, who is a CPA to the podcast. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here today. Alex, I am thrilled that you're able to join us. Tell us a little bit about your background. I know you have a rich history with nonprofits. Uh, Walk us through a little bit of your background. Yes. So I have been on both sides of the nonprofit, both as an internal finance individual, but also as an auditor. So I have worked in smaller nonprofits, but the one that I most recently was at, I was the chief financial officer for the Pueblo City County Library District. And they are a government entity, but also a nonprofit. So we had a $14 million budget that I was um, in charge of there. But then I've also was in public accounting where I did audits for nonprofits. And I also have done a lot of volunteer work and being on numerous boards. And as such, being the CPA, I am typically the treasurer (laughs) and the one that is doing all the financials for those even smaller nonprofits. Alex, that was one of the reasons why I asked you to join me on the podcast today is because of your diverse background and having seen nonprofit finances from those different vantage points of having been Mm -hmm. on staff as a CFO, um, but Mm -hmm. also having audited nonprofit financials and knowing what you're looking for from that audit perspective. I think that those are those are two really important vantage points. But I know right now you serve as what's called a virtual CFO. For those who may not be familiar with the concept, talk to me a little bit about what what is a virtual CFO? What do you what do you do in that role? Yes. So what I do as a virtual CFO is I am your CFO, but I would not be physically at your location. So our organization, our firm, we provide services for nonprofits based on their size. And we do all the finance functions. We even present to the board. We can be in leadership meetings. We will be the liaison between you and the auditor. All those pieces that are involved with financial accounting in a nonprofit, but we're able to do it remotely. And so you don't have to worry about having somebody hired on staff. You would have a team of experienced individuals taking care of the finances for you. And that also is an advantage because a lot of times nonprofits they don't have the resources to get somebody that has enough training or education or knowledge about nonprofit accounting. Whereas if you outsource it, it's at a much less cost than even bringing in a bookkeeper typically is to your organization. That's that's fascinating to me, Alex. I work with a lot of small to medium-sized nonprofits who may not be of a size or of a budget where they can afford to bring on a full-time CFO. And they may not, quite frankly, need a full-time CFO on there uh, as a W-2 employee. So if you could, and I know you touched on a few of them, what do you see as the benefits for nonprofits of 
various shapes and sizes for going this direction, having a virtual chief financial officer? I think the biggest thing is just that you might not need to have somebody that's on staff full time, but in order to have somebody that's going to be able to do the compliance and be able to provide the information to the executive director and the board, you need somebody that understands what this nonprofit accounting and the differences and being able to explain that. So having somebody that is doing different clients so they can focus on the work that needs to be done for your organization, but that they also are doing other ones so that it's not just, they're not fully looking at being an employee for one organization. And so it's a better use of the other nonprofits resources to be able to just bring that person in and have those tasks that only they need to have completed. So on our tiers, we have it based on if you're a small, a medium or a nonprofit that requires an audit. And so we have the specialty to be able to do the grant and donor tracking and making sure that all those compliance pieces are taken care of so that the board and the executive director and the others that are volunteering in the nonprofit can focus on the mission and doing the programs and not having to be so concerned what's going on on the finance side. Alex, you mentioned compliance, and I know Mm -hmm. you've served as a board member for a number of organizations in your past. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so important to have those financial controls in place. And a lot of times that starts at the board level with their Mm -hmm. fiduciary duty to the organization. And where that starts is often making sure that we have adequate policies in place at the Mm -hmm. outset. As a CFO, as a former auditor, what are well, from your experience perspective, what are the key policies nonprofits have to be have to have in place to maintain adequate financial controls? I think one of the biggest ones is what is their cash disbursement? So what is their policy around purchases? Making sure that only certain individuals can make purchases up to this amount. If the executive director can make purchases up to another amount and then the board approving anything that's going to be a larger scale. So that's a good way to make sure that your expenses are in check and that if there's anything that's going to be large or unusual, that the board is the one that's going to be asking those questions and making sure that it makes sense for the nonprofit. I think it's also important for the board to have an understanding of what's what's the whole financial environment for the organization. What is its typical cadence throughout the year? Is there a fundraiser at the beginning and something else in the summer so that they have a better understanding as they go through the year looking at what the revenue and the expenses are and saying, does that make sense? And so a lot of it in a smaller nonprofit, you you need to make sure that you have internal controls and you have the separation and segregation of duties. But if there's not a lot of people there, you do need to rely on your board being a little bit more knowledgeable so that they can identify if anything does look out of place and also giving them the opportunity to know who's doing the finances that they can go and they can ask those questions. And so that's a really big piece of the relationship between the board and the organization is making sure that they understand that they can ask those questions and that it's encouraged to do that. 
And Alex, you brought up a, a really important one with the the purchasing policy. And it's one of the questions I'm asked by boards a lot uh, is mm -hmm. when it comes to a purchasing policy, is there a standard dollar amount um, above which should require a second signature or should require board approval? Or is that mm -hmm. something that varies uh, from organization to organization? Yes, I think I would say it varies because you have some nonprofits that are very small and they might never have a purchase larger than $5,000, but you might have others that have that are very robust and have purchases over 100,000 on a regular. So I think it really depends on what size of an organization you are and looking at what you would consider to be smaller purchases versus those that make a larger financial impact. So I would look more at percentages and that be your way of determining what the dollar cutoff would be for each of the different categories. And Alex, you mentioned uh, cadence, I think was the word that you used for nonprofit mm -hmm. finances. And I think that's a brilliant word. Um, I remember as a former nonprofit executive, um, one of the ch most challenging aspects of, of working with the board was getting them to understand that just like most businesses, our organization had a cadence. There were times mm -hmm. of the year where we were more flush with cash and there were times of the year where boy, it was getting pretty, pretty lean and mean uh, around mm -hmm. the office. I'm curious mm -hmm. how, as a board member, uh, as a financial executive, how do you recommend leaders talk to their board and help them to understand what that mm -hmm. cadence might be and how to get more comfortable with it so that the board itself doesn't go through those um, emotional highs and lows of, of mm -hmm. when things are flush and when things are really lean? Mm -hmm. So I think there's two points there that really should be taking place. The first being when somebody is first on the board and new to the board, that they meet with whomever is doing the financials and going through and describing exactly what it does look like in a typical year. And then the second piece would be at the board meetings, do a comparison. So when you're presenting the financials, have it based on this is where we were as of, um, for instance, the end of August for last year. This is where we are this year. This makes sense because we just had this event or we're going to be doing a large campaign for fundraising in October. So you'll see that our cash is lower. So describing that and making sure that you're touching on it and also looking at if there are trends that you know, just saying those in your presentations and reminding the board that what's going on and what's typical because what the board needs to be aware of is those items that are not typical. If revenue is much lower than expected because you didn't get a grant or you didn't get a donation, you need to be communicating to them about that. But if it's just lower in revenue because you haven't had your big event, then letting them know and reminding them, but not making it something that they're concerned with. They should have reassurance that, yes, we're looking fine. This is typical. You can see in the prior year, this is where we were. And so I think that's a really big piece is informing the board of what's normal and what might not be normal, and if there should be concerns around that piece. You mentioned grants, um, mm -hmm. and, and I know for for many of our nonprofit leaders, uh, you know, 
the the gold standard we would all love to have as much unrestricted funding as possible <laughs> i get that <laughs> not a reality for many nonprofit organizations many of our organizations do receive grants that come with various types of restrictions on them mm -hmm. as a cpa as a former auditor as a board member how do you recommend nonprofit organizations account for those restricted grants? How do you display them for the board in a way that shows that the funding exists, but also mm -hmm. may display the restrictions that that is not uh, funding that can be used for ongoing day-to-day -day or daily operations? What are some of the best practices, as it were, around accounting for restricted grants and donations? Yes, so you, you do need to have something that you're tracking to have a grant or a donor tracker so that you're entering the information as you receive that money and you put in there what it's for, when does the funds need to be spent by, also if there's any kind of reporting that needs to be done at the end. Because typically when you get a large grant, they want you to, to write back and say, yes, we use this grant for this event and we were able to serve 10 times the individuals that we would have been able to without this grant. So you need to make sure that you have all those pieces and that you're able to check those off as you go throughout because otherwise you're likely to not receive that grant in the future. And so when you receive those grants, I think it's important to make note of them in the board meeting and let the board know of those larger ones. So I'm not saying that when you get a hundred dollar donation, you need to go through and tell the board every single one of those. But if you get something that's significant, a grant or a large donation in that monthly board report or quarterly board report, you would go through and say, we just received a grant from the university to do an expansion on this project. And then when you talk about your financials in subsequent months, you can just quickly highlight, oh, and we still have our $50,000 over there that's being designated from the university for this program. So you're just barely touching so that the board's like, oh, yeah, I remember when we had that discussion. And if it's not, if, if they have a question, then yes, welcome that because those larger dollars you need everybody to understand that it is restricted and it can only be spent a certain way. And if it's not spent that way, it it could be something that you're not going to receive. So everybody should be able to ask those questions and say, okay, well, why aren't we using this money? Or I thought that this money was for that. That's exactly what you want your board to be saying. And that's at a very high level. They don't have to have a lot of strong financial knowledge to just have a general sense of we have $200,000 in grants and I know that 50,000 came from this place. I mean, we're talking very, very high level, but something that's important so that the board is informed and that they know they are being good stewards and spending those funds as they're meant to be by the donor or the grantor. So, Alex, we talked about financial donations and contributions, but oftentimes nonprofit organizations receive donations that may not be cash. Maybe it's real mm -hmm. estate. Maybe it's stock or securities. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes those come with restrictions as well. Are there mm -hmm. any types of restrictions that are a red flag for you as an auditor or something that you think a board should pay attention to before, before agreeing to accept a certain gift? 
Yes. So I, I have a, a personal experience with this. We oh, I'd had, love to hear it. yes, we had a boys and girls club that accepted a 1970s red convertible <laughs> as, yes, as a donation. And the idea was that then the boys and girls club would sell it and they would be able to keep that cash. That didn't make logical sense that a boys and girls club would have this type of vehicle. So that's where it's like, okay, what questions were you asking? Why you should have been saying, please sell this vehicle before you donate it. So those are the items that when you see something that just doesn't make sense, why this nonprofit would have this item. Right. That's when you're asking those questions. Okay, what what was the meaning behind this? Why was this structured this way? It's usually a, a deeper story there that you need to uncover. It just doesn't make sense. Those are the items that you're really keen into. Because a lot of it, if it is something that's an in-kind donation, it's it makes sense. It's It's land so that they can build a new place or they're donating pizza for the entire year and you need to make sure that you have that on your financials as an in-kind donation. But it's those ones that it's like, now what business purpose does this have for your nonprofit? Exactly. And I, I think also, you know, the other thing that I was worried about um, when I talked to nonprofits about uh, restricted gifts and gifts with problematic restrictions is where the donor wants to somehow maintain control over mm -hmm. the asset, even after giving it to the organization. I always point that out to boards as a potential red flag as well. Mm -hmm. And I would also say crypto right now is Good a red point. flag because that there's, there's so much behind cryptocurrency and that environment that really a nonprofit that's, I, I most of them that's not going to be their specialty so I would steer away and I know it's always hard when somebody wants to give you something you want to be appreciative and accept it especially since a lot of nonprofits they they are asking for donations on a regular basis but you just have to be smart and make sure that it's something that you're willing to manage going forward always great advice and i think that it goes to it goes to our next point which is around the board member's duty the board has a fiduciary duty to as you said earlier pay attention you know mm -hmm. notice any red flags that uh, may be out there part of the way they do that is by reviewing financial reports so mm -hmm. i'm i'm interested in your perspective as a cfo as a board member what typically do you like to see the board reviewing regularly to give them to keep themselves apprised of the financial health of the organization? Mm -hmm. So when I have done board presentations in the past as a CFO, I've usually done uh, a few reports the same every single month. So that's always helpful is that it's consistent so that they know what to expect and which reports they're going to see. And so the naming convention behind financial statements for a nonprofit are different. So you have the financial, the statement of financial position and the statement of activities rather than the balance sheet and the income statement. They present the same stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and use the more common 
phrases for these. So you would want to see a balance sheet of financial position and looking at that. And really, it's that comparison. So seeing what it was either last year or last month. And then the key piece is having the CFO or whoever is presenting going through and highlighting those items that have significance for this time period. Then the next report you're going to want to see is the income statement or the statement of activities that shows all the revenue and expenses. And again, this is usually shown for the month and then the year to date and going through and seeing if they make logical sense as far as what you know that the organization does. And if there is a large expense that you don't understand asking those questions but anybody that's going to be presenting that has done well with that they're going to answer that question before you even have it they're going to say just so you know this month we had this expense come through so that's why it's larger than it has been in previous months and then the last report that i like to show is the expenses so some usually do a cash flow but what i have typically done is showing what were the expenses for the month? So usually you have your payroll as your top figures that only change a little bit each month. You're going to show what the payroll taxes and any benefits and then what the actual payroll was and then have a list of all the different transactions that have gone through as expenses for the month. And that really is for that transparency. So they have the financial statement that's showing it broken down by account what's being spent, but then this gets down to the individual line item. And while, of course, you don't expect the board to go through and check every single one of those, the information is there. And then I would highlight those items that were larger or unusual again. But then say, if you have a question about any of these items, please let us know. We can discuss what it is, why we're using a certain vendor or whatever. But I think that that's really important because it's providing the information, showing what it did for the financials on a whole. And the transparency is just huge. Just having all that information so that there aren't any questions of, well, how do we know they're not paying this bill or if they're using this vendor, all that is out there. And so it's visible to anybody that would have a question. You hit the nail on the head, Alex, with that keyword of transparency. And mm -hmm. I think it's so important for there to be a trust built up between the board and whoever it is that prepares and presents the financials to the board and a comfort level that in the culture of the organization that it is okay to ask questions. If I don't understand something, there's no shame in that. Or if I have a more significant uh, objection or question to something I see in the financial reports or a discrepancy that I'm comfortable raising that uh, in a non-accusatory way as well. So I think that transparency goes both ways between the board mm -hmm. and also whoever is preparing and presenting the financials. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it, and it could be something that maybe the finance individual doesn't have an answer for, but it's also key that if they do have to look it up, that they bring that information back. And so as a board member or executive director, if you notice that those questions are going unanswered, to point that out and ask because 
it, it is. You do need to have that relationship that you feel comfortable and you feel like you're doing your due diligence as a board member. And part of that is making sure that any question that you have, you get a sufficient answer for. Okay, Alex, this one is coming from a selfish, this question is coming from a selfish place because I always <laughs> wrestled with this as a nonprofit executive. Uh, and I know that other boards do as well because it's a little bit like the Goldilocks story. When you're presenting a level of detail of the financial reports, every nonprofit leader I know worries, am I giving the board too much? Am I giving mm -hmm. the board not enough detail? So mm -hmm. as a board member and also someone who has presented financials to the board, what do you recommend for nonprofit leaders? Is there a, you know, a, any pre is there pre-work that you like the board to have reviewed the financials in advance of the meeting what are some of your best practices there so i would say there's no pre-work but typically a lot of things that are going to have a significant impact on the financials are things that have been discussed with the board so if there's something that's going on within the community the board's usually already been aware of that situation but i think that the biggest piece is to provide information, be able to describe it, provide the meaningful pieces and not get bogged down by the details. So highlighting those important items, highlighting the things that have changed or have significant impact, describing, yes, we didn't get that donation this year. And so it's going to mean X, Y, and Z. So it you provide the information and all the financials, but as you go through it, you need to make sure that you're only giving the information that is important to the board and so that they're able to base their decisions on that information, knowing that they have the most important up-to-date information, but not getting bogged down with all those insignificant line item details. Alex, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. I've learned a lot. I know everyone <laughs> listening has learned a lot as well. For those who want to get more information um, and connect with you directly, um, how can folks get a hold of you? Yes, so they can visit my firm's website. That's betterwaycpa.com. And then I also am on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn and Twitter, all under Alex Romero CPA. Alex, thank you for taking the time to join us. I know folks will um, take advantage of that opportunity to reach out to you and learn a little bit more. I appreciate you taking the time. For those who are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends, your coworkers, your colleagues, as we continue to grow this nonprofit vision community. If you're really enjoying the podcast, also encourage you and ask you to please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Helps us grow that community. Alex, thank you again and have a great evening. Yes, thank you.